And I think as a second-time founder, what I probably learned the most is that emotional regularity of dealing with really good news and then really, really bad news and trying to keep an even keel. And uh, that, I think, has been very helpful for my own predisposition of startup life. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about startups who have been there and done it or are right here and doing it in sunny Western Australia. My name's Charlie Gunningham. And I'm Danelle Cross. And thanks to everyone who has subscribed to this podcast. Our numbers are going up and up, which is just awesome. So don't forget everybody as well. Our, all our episodes are on our brand new website, startupwest.com.au, as well as on your favourite pod platform. Yep, just search for Startup West and you'll find us. And maybe that's how you found us, which is great. Here we go with another episode. This time we talk with the wonderful Jan, Dan Javesky, who is on his second tech startup. Having successfully launched, run, and then sold Switch My Loan, he's back in the fintech space again with We Money. Hey, Dan, how are you? Welcome to Startup West. I am well, Danelle. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to have you here, great Dan. Great to have you here. Thank you, Charlie. Can you briefly tell us about We Money? Absolutely. So, We Money has been uh, a combination of the last sort of 13 years of my experience in financial services. I think to fast forward is what is We Money? Well, We Money is a financial wellness platform that helps people manage their finances all in one place. And the problem that we really solve is that finance is a very hard, boring, and confusing topic. It's one that's very emotional as well. And people find it very difficult to get a good understanding and grasp of where their money is going. Mm. So, we make that easier by allowing people to connect all their accounts to WeMoney. So, you mm-hmm. can see your mortgage, your superannuation, your transaction accounts all in one place, tracking and monitoring your credit score. But more importantly, what, we, what we're what creating here is a community, which is in the name, the We in WeMoney is a sense of bringing these two big themes together. One, managing your finances, mm-hmm. but number two, this big explosion in the social way to manage your money with getting help and support from peers in real time on how you can really accelerate financial wellness. And those two mm. things coming together mm. is what we money is about. So managing your money, but also having a community of really passionate people to help you along your journey. So you're sort of a targeting the millennials or who's your sort of target audience? Target audience uh, is people under the age of 35. That's where a majority of Mm -hmm. our members are. About 75% of our members are underneath the age of uh, 35. And the largest cohort by size is 18 to 24-year-olds. That's about 35% of our total membership base. So, Mm. And around Australia, around the world? Australia for now, uh, but we are looking to two new geographies in the coming six to 12 months. Great. And it's been going a couple of years. Or I think you year launched yeah, yeah. 18 months ago, um, just before COVID, or even during COVID. Didn't you do a launch during COVID? We did. We did a launch <laughs> literally during COVID. So yeah. we, we had a, a private alpha version launch in February 2020, and that was on the heels of COVID really hitting off. Mm. And then mm. we- Interesting timing. It was. It was totally, it was, mm. yeah, interesting to say, to say the least. But uh, Or was pop- it perversely good timing? Because people I, were stuck and mm. looking to- Connect and I think I think it actually was Charlie. Mm. Um, you know, I think there was something to do with COVID that actually brought the acceleration of people paying more attention to their finances because they had to, right? Yeah, mm. people losing yeah. their jobs. The government grants had not yet been activated, so people had a very very close view on understanding their money a little bit better. So I think that actually probably gave us a little bit of a slingshot, to be frank, mm. in a really sort of perverse way. But um, it's really good to see that the community came together and. Uh, provided some help and tips to other people that were going through some pretty tough times. So we're, we're quite um, quite grateful that we actually had an okay outcome. I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't stressful. It was stressful mm. all mm. around for our team, for me, I guess, personally trying to navigate through 
uh, a company that was going through a cap raise and raising through COVID. Uh, that was uh, a bit of a headache, but we ended up getting on the other side of that. But I think the silver lining is that it made us stronger as a business. It made us way mm. more resilient. Mm. It made us way more paranoid in a good way. I love that <laughs> quote from Andy Grove. Only the paranoid survive. We are literally cockroaches uh, when, we, when we think about our business and that's made us really – hyper aware about the things that are very important, the things that are just not important. Mm. And um, yeah. It's very true actually because I remember with my startup way back, 20 years ago, I'm an old startup guy, right? Old, old, well, when you were in kid shorts, you were. <laughs> um, early 2000s, went through the dot-com crash. But that year, 2000, goodness me, that was a tough year. A couple of times we thought we'd go down. When we got through to 2001 and then we got the business sort of cash flow positive, we never wanted to go back to those mm days again, those dark days. But we were weirdly, in a perverse way, glad we'd been through it because it taught us a lot about cash flow hmm. and resilience and great for team building. Similar experience for you going uh, through what you've been through? Well, absolutely, Charlie. I've, I've sort of uh, the first business, which my loan was a product of the GFC. So we came out mm. uh, and, and launched that business literally the thick of when Lehman Brothers had collapsed. Um, and right. we were navigating through that um, that sort of awful moment from 2018 to like 2011, 2012. Uh, and yeah, I think there's something to be said about launching businesses within crises because, you know, number one, competition is lower. So mm -hmm. the uh, funding environment means that only the top companies get funded. I'm not saying that we're a top company, but we right. managed to sort of scrape through and get mm -hmm. a, a round of funding done during that period of time. So there um, is a lot of emerging evidence that um, sometimes funding businesses in mm. the heart of crises is probably the best thing to do. And it gives you a lot of time yeah, mm. to build, build the right business. And you've briefly mentioned about the, your fundraising. Can you mm. tell us about that and how that how you went about that? Yeah, totally. So to, for context, we we did a, a small pre-seed round in uh, 2019 mm -hmm. and that really got us to the point where we could hire initial colleagues to join the business, develop an MVP of the app and then use that cash to showcase our progress to the next investors. Uh, so we raised in September 2019 and then launched a fundraise process in February 2020. So just before mm. sort of COVID mm -hmm. started and then we closed around in July that year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've been through two uh, successive fundraising rounds uh, in very sort of short bursts. And really the, the main thing that I guess investors uh, were looking for that we got feedback on is, hey, what have you achieved, right? Gave yep. you 500 grand for 22 pages of a PowerPoint deck. Right. Like, what are you, what are you going to show Was for? Was that it? your initial pre-seed round? Pre-seed round, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. And that sort of pre-seed round got us to launch a product on both iOS and Android with mm. a group of 300 core passionate users that we found literally on Instagram mm. um, that, you know, we had endless Zoom calls with and that were really the co-creators of the product. So they actually really mm. helped us build and de-risk the product when we went to market massive amounts of user testing. I think we probably did somewhere in excess of about 100 interviews, hmm. uh, massive amounts of surveys to really hone in where are the points of value that people are going to get uh, heaps of value and utility from the way money product in a way that we can enter the market without simply spending like 12 months building on hypotheses mm. that we thought were important but our users didn't. And uh, that was probably in hindsight probably one of our best moves that we weren't um, ideal – ideologues in mm. our own sort of viewpoints about what we thought should be manifested and brought into the world. Mm. It was really the product of those 300 core users. We did that, created the product, launched it. Early stats were, you know, really bad. Um, right. And, but I think we we saw 
you know, some magic in the initial product because some people really cared about what we're doing. And when people go over hot coals or broken glass to use your product, <laughs> okay. that tells you something. It was that hard, a UX, was it? Oh, it was terrible. It was <laughs> shocking. <Okay. laughs> One user, I think on on average, would have had about five um, customer queries like one about- one-star reviews or- Well, mm. one-star reviews, probably yes, but it was just, this doesn't work. I can't actually enter my name on this field because it's an alphanumeric field and you know it yeah. needs to be changed. There were like, tons of errors, but that was really good because those really persistent users- uh, managed to really de-risk the product before we went, um, mm. you know, go to a public launch. And I think in terms of the the, the second uh, round of follow-up funding, I think the type of investors that we saw was heaps of passes, massive amounts of no's. But the ones that said yes or were close to saying yes, quite surprisingly, I think for us was uh, we started the cap raise initially thinking that we would go to the top of the pop in town, right? All the big investors mm-hmm. that you've heard of, Right. And I guess you get some of the classic responses. Too early, not enough traction, yeah. not enough progress, don't really believe what so you guys Blackbird, are doing. Airtree, One Ventures, all of those. Yeah. Crickets. No in that, in, in, <laughs> in that. that sphere. Okay. <laughs> right. But what it was really good, you, you need to build up those relationships because no doesn't mean a no forever. And mm, that was correct. really important because – uh, you really need to build up your profile with investors. They don't know who you are and they don't follow your traction. Yeah. They're probably not going to say yes to you in those follow-up mm. rounds and mm. it's good to build those relationships uh, to begin with. But the investors that did say yes were investors that fundamentally believed in our core mission, the reason why we existed, the reason why mm. we wanted to manifest this product and bring it into the world. And I think that's that's just a lot for uh, you know founders who are raising capital is that pick and choose your investors wisely. And I think we managed to get an awesome bunch of people on board. Right. Again, no surprise if you're from Perth, Better Labs. Uh, yep. They were an investor. They are an investor in yeah. that round and kind of led the round actually mm-hmm. in terms of largest dollars being put in. Uh, and Derek uh, Gerard joined the board and he's been absolutely wonderful ever since um, his initial investment. And uh, yeah, it's just been awesome to close the round and sort of move on and build the business. One of the last thing I'll just touch on maybe as a um, a note to myself and a note to other entrepreneurs mm. is go and chat to your friends or people that you've worked with before over a long period of time. Mm. We were so enamored by going out to these fancy brand name investor groups, which for all intents and purposes may have been awesome to have on board in our business. But the thing that I personally neglected, which in retrospect I shouldn't have, is speaking to the people that I've had a working relationship before in the past Mm. and ended up uncovering they've actually got money and they were willing to invest. We ended up picking up like Mm. seven or eight angel investors that are from industry, so fintech, uh, you know, legends, Mm. that uh, actually gave us money through that process. And we did that right at the end, not at the start. Mm. Right. And – that happened by sheer serendipity because we were, hey, what are you up to? Oh, by the way, I'm launching this business. I'm launching around. And they asked me, by the way, is there any room left? I said, right. absolutely there is. There's always <laughs> so, room right. So yeah. use your own networks first. Mm. Yes, mm. obvious. Obvious, obvious point. but and often Any missed. other things that you've learned from having been through it before? Because I'd imagine a lot of those people would give you a go because this guy's done it before. This guy, Dan, has done Switch My Loan before, through to an exit, sold to Pioneer Credit. Correct. Right? So you've done a fintech and now he's back for more. God love him. So he's learned a lot, probably made some mistakes, and he's going to bring those with him this time and he'll do even better this time. Did you trade on that? 
I think that was a, that, that was a bet in a lot of people's mind, uh, Charlie. Yeah. I think I probably don't do a good job of maybe selling myself on that on that <laughs> process. And you know what? Funny enough, this is um, something that I also learned as well. Sometimes uh, for the investors that we spoke to, like that really didn't matter. Like every time we brought mm. that up, I thought they'd want to quiz me on that type of experience, and quite frankly, didn't come up all that much. But I think at the back of people's minds, that certainly must have been part of the decision-making criteria. So if a lot of the angel investors, like the mm. early people mm. that committed, the people that we didn't have a great relationship with, they probably put those two things together and thought to themselves, yeah, right, if you've gone through one type of uh, startup from start to finish, maybe we can do it again. Um, look, it's never easier, uh, I would say, but I think the, the things that I've learned as a second-time founder is that as a first-time founder, you celebrate wins that are false wins, right? You think things are really successful and you get a high on your team and your team are very excited, but then they end up turning into like false flags. Like they don't right. even amount to anything. And the things that can often depress you or bring you down to the dumps, um, that uh, as a first-time founder, you think are existential, right? You think that this is, all right, time mm. to- It's over. It's over. But it's Close not. Close up, but it's not. Mm. Um, and I think as a second-time founder, what I probably learned the most- is that emotional regularity of dealing with really good news and then really, really bad news mm. and trying to keep an even keel. And uh, that I think has been very helpful for my own predisposition of startup life. Because if you get too carried away with the good stuff, you're going to ignore potential issues in your business. And if you get too focused on being too conservative on you know stuff that may be bad, it's always going to be bad, by the way. Mm. But if you let it get to you, you're not going to be able to put one step forward and you know keep – putting one foot after the other and, and that's a really business. interesting mm. perspective. Yeah, some mm. good lessons mm. there. Mm. Biggest challenges since we money, since the the raise. Biggest challenges I would say are probably are two things. The first challenge I would say is finding really good people, mm. which is very tough. I think as a first time founder you kind of scrape anyone together that you can find to help mm. you on your mission. I think the second time what I've tried to do is be much more deliberate around hiring uh, in mm-hmm. terms of um, they often say that um, B-class founders hire C-class people um, and A-class founders try to hire A-plus people all the time, people that are mm. much more smarter than them and much more capable. And I think this time around we have only um, accepted mm. talent into our business that we believe is A-plus mm. um, because that bar that you set for your initial team is what solidifies that culture, yeah. not only in the first six months or 12 months, but forever in your business. Mm. Correct. And in order to find those really, really good people, the really, really good people are on awesome salaries. They're at awesome places of work. They don't really have much of an incentive to jump ship to a high-risk startup. Mm. And what we have found in the people that we have got on board who have met all that criteria but also have decided to join us really fundamentally believe in the mission that we mm. want to achieve. And if they're on board with that mission and, and suffered maybe some of the um, issues that uh, has gone on in their life from a financial perspective, they can relate to that product a lot mm. more. And you kind of know when you hear about it because you can hear it in people's voice. You can hear when people, when you talk to them about your own personal stories with money and finances and how other people go through that, they often resonate. But again, huge challenge to find mm. those, mm. that magic uh, in people. How big is the team? 13. 13. Yeah. And 13. where are they? In Perth? Are they all around the world? So mm. we've got a majority of our colleagues here in Australia. We've got Dave who's over in Thailand. Uh, he's an Aussie. Uh, he's 
uh, charted a new life in beautiful Chiang Mai, mm. um, often jealous about his pictures that he posts on Slack about all the exotic <laughs> locations that he goes to. Uh, Kevin, who's based in South Korea. Uh, Rob, who's one of our head designers, who's based out in Vancouver, Canada. Wow. Uh, and we've got colleagues in Melbourne, Sydney and Perth. Wow, fantastic. Mm. Hi, just jumping in here to give a shout out to our wonderful sponsors. Without these, we would not be able to bring you this podcast or do what we do at Startup News either. So we want to thank Startup News who produced the Startup West podcast. Go there and subscribe, please. Spacecube Coworking Spaces, where we also record this pod down here at Riff in the city. The New Industries Fund, who give funding, advice and support all year round. Curtin University, who have been a long-time supporter of innovation entrepreneurs in WA. The City of Perth, where we also record this pod, also a great supporter of the tech scene. RSM, who came on board last year, and who helped many startups with R&D tax returns and other advice. Dinner Twist, a WA startup itself, who has actually been on the podcast and just wanted to help out. So please, if you bump into any of these organizations and the people that run them, say thanks and go use their services. That's the best way to say thanks. Okay, now back to the show. So Dan, we might take you back right to the early stages. Were you were you born in Perth? Where were you born? I was born in a small little country uh, now, uh, part of the former Yugoslavia called Macedonia, mm-hmm. and uh, born there in the late 80s and then came to Australia with my parents uh, nine months after birth. So pretty much raised in Australia all right. my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you go to school? I went to school, so I grew up in a suburb called Spearwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people that don't know Spearwood, uh, in the 90s, uh, think about it as the Bronx of Perth. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Yeah>. not. <laughs> well, at that time it certainly was. <laughs> okay. um, and um, look, it was a really interesting childhood and often I reflect on my time uh, growing up in Spearwood. But, um, yeah, I grew up in Spearwood, um, went to a small little primary school called Newton and – um, yeah, my parents ended up um, moving uh, to Mount Pleasant in the early 2000s. So then mm. I went to um, Applecross Senior High School. A bit um, more pleasant. A bit more pleasant, <laughs> a bit more pleasant for sure. And you know what? It was a massive sea change. Like yeah. that, right. that sort of change uh, from like a social mobility perspective was was really monumental and something I don't often talk about, but that's probably some of the core reasons of why uh, we're pursuing we Money was, mm. um, was that – degree of so- social mobility. I, I literally won the lotto with my parents. They're both hardworking, earnest mm-hmm. people uh, and always wanted the best for me and my sister. But seeing that massive sea change from a social perspective is like – like etched something into my brain right. about having the spirit wow. experience and then having them out yeah. like experience. two sort right. of polar opposite experiences. Yep. And it can often be described by dinner table conversations because when I went to my friend's house in Spearwood, the dinner table conversations were just ruckuses of yelling and shouting and screaming, whereas going to Mount Pleasant, it was like, hmm, Thomas, can you please pass me this tomato sauce? <laughs> Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> okay, <Hey>. Tarquin. <laughs> and I had a completely like, opening experience. I often felt like the, you know, the odd one out mm. because of, um, you know, my early sort of childhood, but I would never, ever change one little bit about that whole mm. entire experience. I think it's And mum and dad, what were they doing? So mum was, uh, she did two things. She was a uh, home economics teacher um, at right. South Freya High School, uh, also did some odd jobs and um, helped mm-hmm. out in you know, a personal capacity. Um, 
uh, in like cleaning and chef cooking, yep. just all these odd jobs all around the place. And dad was a blue collar worker. He was a boilermaker mm. turned crane driver. Um, so he'd always come home with like dirt on his face and mm. um, calluses on his hands and you know grit underneath his fingernails. And that, um, mm. yeah, is, is mine. Like childhood, I sort of saw that. You know, very lower so middle class. So at school, mm. and I'm, as a former teacher, I'm always interested in seeing the behaviours mm. set for people. I think I think a lot of our behaviours are set from age seven onwards. Um, and you've obviously had a very formative uh, periods there with Spearwood and then with Mount Pleasant. At school, what were your favourite subjects? What were you doing? What sort of activities? Were you in a sporting team? Did you end up being the head of the sporting team or did you sit back and let other people lead it? I'm just interested in... Yeah, few few tales from school days. Mm. School, okay, really, really good question. Look, I was a terrible student. Like, terrible is probably an understatement. Okay. I think the the best way to analogize my uh, primary school experience was a couple of days before a test, the teacher asked us to revise certain chapters in a book. So I'm not sure if kids still have these these days, but you have trays where you pull out your trays and you got your crayons in right. there and things like that. And all your notes in there, were they? Oh well, <laughs> I pulled out my tray and noticed my textbook still had the plastic wrapping on it. So. Oh, hadn't been opened. It hadn't been opened at all. Right. Look, unattentive. Um, I was drawing, literally just drawing. I was very passionate about drawing in oh. uh, in my youth, so I used to draw all the time, draw incessantly. Um, yeah, if you had a look at my early report cards, you know, below satisfactory would have been the common word if you had a word cloud of, you know, my entire <laughs> sort of seven years. So, look, I didn't didn't pay much attention at school, was interested in sport. I mean, to a degree, I've had a bit of soccer, but right. I wouldn't call myself, you know, a leader at a sports team. Something like you were itching to get on and out, actually. Mm. Itching to go and do something else. Um, yeah, potentially. I mean, there was no… Did you have an idea what you wanted to be mm. when you, um, inverted commas, grew up? Look, I think… Again, putting myself back in those shoes, being a product of my experience, you know, the, th- the thing that I wanted to become was a manual labourer because my that's what that's I what saw. saw. My dad, yeah. right? Mm. He came home from work. He provided for the household. So yeah. that was my life all the way up until I think that very formative experience of completely moving suburbs into a different location and just like having my whole world open up right. to me. Mm. And it wasn't really until year 10 in high school, now sort of fast forwarding, is that all those habits from primary school followed me into the first three years of high school. I would, you know, probably say pre-expulsion, like in terms of really underperforming um, in in high school, um, getting into lots of trouble and all that type of stuff, um, but fundamentally bored, disinterested, mm. I think, to but, a very mm. large degree. Wouldn't dad or mum have clipped you around the ear and say, what's going on, and been quite strict, I'd have thought, coming from their background? Look, to a degree. And shaking you up a bit? My parents um, didn't go to uni. So I think they probably had a much more different uh, schooling environment than they were used to. Mm. I'd always remember them say, this is really easy work. I can't believe they're, um, you know, giving you this type of homework and all this type of stuff. But um, I wouldn't say that they were very active in, you know, our schooling experiences. Right. Um, only because English wasn't their first language, right? right? So could they help out with English work? Probably not because no. they couldn't even speak it themselves. Mm. So I think- um, But they weren't having a go at you when you get bad reports. No, 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 they weren't. They weren't at all. I don't think I ever got scolded for like bringing oh. home a bad report card or anything else. Okay. Um, and then after school- so what ha- yeah, yeah, what happened? What happened at year 10 or as you moved so into year 10, upper this secondary? Is, this is like kind of a really interesting story is that mm. I had a really- um, really personal experience uh, with my grandfather. So 
this is you would call the last ten years of schooling pretty much at the you know the edge of failure or mm. you know expulsion or not being able to continue sort of schooling. In fact, dropping out at year ten, I think, would have been the prediction for most people about you know my my schooling endeavours. But year ten, my my grandfather. Uh, who didn't often come and see us, came to my dad's 50th birthday and we had um, – so let me just tell you who my grandfather is. Stoic individual, you know, built like a fridge, um, doesn't speak English at all, um, loves working and had came from a very, very hard life of dealing with becoming a farmer and then moving, you know, countries and having to adapt to a new environment and he said something that was really formidable in my life around the you know the power of education. And he literally took me outside uh, the day after my dad's fiftieth birthday, and almost had a tear in his eye talking about the struggles that he had seen in his life, not only with himself mm. but also with my dad and pretty much anyone in an extended family that didn't pursue an education and constantly was left with smaller and smaller opportunities and mm. having to use, you know, their hands to get ahead. And for some reason, look, I don't know what it was, but it had such a profound that effect on moment. me. Mm. That was literally the turning point in my wow. life, that mm. very, very one moment mm. that has kind of spurred a catalyst in, you know, turning my life around when it came to schooling. Mm. Um, so much so that I literally was just hell-bent. I had a goal for myself that I would graduate with 12 A grades uh, I didn't do TE, I did non-TE um, mm. in high school, but I ended up getting 10 A grades and two B grades. And I think for anybody that kind of looked at me mm. and said, right. holy shit, what why isn't this guy sort of but dead or with a needle in his arm? Or <laughs> your teachers like would have taken credit yeah. for that. You were obviously bright. You were yeah. bored. That's why you're behaving yeah. like you were well. You didn't have a goal. You were yep. bored. Then granddad came in, seminal moment, and something clicked and off you went. You had you had the ability. Yes, Mr. Didn't Cunningham. Didn't have the motivation. Yes, Mr. Cunningham. <laughs> Correct. Well, Charlie, as a, you being a former school teacher, <laughs> I will take that hundred uh, percent on no. board. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think, yeah, classic case of uh, boredom, uh, mm. unattentiveness, and yeah, probably a little misdirection. As and well. it's a shame a teacher didn't see that mm. and shake you. Mm. Well, uh, there but are anyway, teachers bless that him. said said other things, Charlie, a lot more, a lot more <laughs> sort of calls than that. Probably didn't. Probably backfired. <laughs> so post Fantastic. Apple Cross Senior High. Post Upper Senior High, I went and uh, went to TAFE and did a mm-hmm. diploma. And mm-hmm. then after the diploma, I went off and did an undergraduate degree in property and finance. So mm-hmm. uh, the thing I'm really proud of, uh, not only I guess for myself, but for my extended family, family. Is I was the first Best person family. to yeah. go to like a tertiary institution. That awesome. was like a really big moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was really cool. I graduated in the height of the GFC. Um, I did a study abroad semester over in the UK mm-hmm. um, and was meant to join. Uh, an investment bank to become uh, a real estate investment banker. That didn't work out for whatever reason. I packed up my bags and sort of came back to Perth. And that was uh, the start of my career in finance. Spent mm-hmm. three years at the banks, both NAB and Bank West. Uh, learned a whole lot. And then decided that the banking career wasn't for me and started to switch my loans right after that. And I met you on the MBA program at you UWA. Did. So you not only did undergrad, you went on and did a master's at UWA, top business school. Was that when you were doing Switch My Loan or did the MBA lead to the Switch My Loan afterwards or what was the timing there? Well, Charlie, I met you in 2012. 
Right. So oh, you'd already started to switch my loan. I did. At yeah. the time I started to switch my loan is when I started the MBA and the, and the rationale. At the same time. Wow. At the same time. My God. <laughs> Good well, idea. The, <laughs> the, the rationale for MBA's that. MBA's hard enough, mate. Yes, or a startup's, <laughs> startup's hard, hard enough. enough. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally was. Um, but look, in retrospect, you know, the reason why I did the MBA was actually more for insurance policy purposes because if the startup didn't mm. work out for whatever reason, you know, I still had to go out and make a living and whatever mm. else. And I thought, you know, what's the worst thing can happen? Have a go. It doesn't work out. Um, got an MBA. I can go up and down the terrace here in Perth and probably find another job. Um, and that was a sort of thought process and rationale. But, you know, in retrospect, it probably wasn't the best thing I've ever done. Why? Because the I had peers in my group. I was probably the youngest in the class. I was like 24, 25 at the time. And the learning that I got from people that were 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. my senior Correct. about all the mistakes they made throughout their professional life, meeting other entrepreneurs, meeting all these awesome, bright, brilliant people just accelerated that journey quite a bit. And I remember um, I interviewed Charlie actually as uh, an entrepreneur. You did as on, part the, of, on yeah. Tim Maserol's class? Tim Maserol's yeah. class, that's okay. correct. And um, that was the start of- um, I met this smart young MBA student who was <laughs> interviewing me. Young. Bless him. <laughs> uh, and, and a few years later, I'm CEO of Business News and I stand up on stage at some small business award and I announce you as the winner. I know it was Wasn't an absolutely that a amazing. Moment? It and was. Tim was on the table. Oh, it was. He was on awesome. the That's correct. Yeah, it was a beautiful moment. I remember awesome. that. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to ask, as a second-time sort of founder, how how you've seen our ecosystem and our startup ecosystem mm. evolve over that time, sort of from your first launch to your second. Well, it's been absolutely incredible. You know, mm. I think the the pace and change that Perth has gone through from an ecosystem perspective has been absolutely blistering, if I can say so, because when I started in 2012, there was nothing. There was me and the four walls. There was a few little websites that I used to follow that used to help me through, but nothing like it is today. Mm. And I think the culture of entrepreneurship, certainly in Perth, has increased. We've obviously – we're sitting in Spacecube right now. There's – just so much more activity happening in that startup mm. space like there wasn't before. Now, not to say that it's like, you know, to the degree of Sydney and Melbourne, but it is fast catching up and I'm very excited about the future yeah. and optimistic about Perth. Um, I'm going to join Charlie's um, comments here that I think we do need a few more investment funds to start putting more risk capital to work with younger startups. We just need more bets in that early space in that sort of pre-seed mm-hmm. seed, yeah. seed yeah. environment that will allow for more entrepreneurs to take more risk and potentially have a breakaway company and hopefully retain more people here within the Perth ecosystem. Probably a little bit easier now for COVID because no one's moving around. Yep. I think it's the perfect time to go and do that. But You're not moving, right? You're staying here? No, we're, I'm not moving at all. No, right. my, my, um, my my wife, my family, we're here. We're based and rooted in Perth. I wouldn't live anywhere in the world. Um and, you know, why would you want to go live in Sydney? You know, an hour and a half in traffic if you want to go move around, busy, mm-hmm. uh, Melbourne, much the same. Perth Twi- is houses cost twice trip. as much. Exactly. You've got mm-hmm. down south, you've got Mark River, you've got up north, Karajini, you just got so much beautiful things. So, no, I'm planted right here in Perth. Fantastic. Lucky Look, us. It's been amazing to mm. talk to you, Dan. Um, thank you very much. You've been very open. Uh, I thought that was a wonderful moment with your granddad. That mm. was that was just great. I love hearing those sharing. stories. We're going to finish with a rapid, quick fire round. So, whatever pops into your head. Okay. Let's do it. Um, what's the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? Team. If you were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, what would you wish into being or perhaps wish away? More funding, more high net worth individuals 
that go and deploy more risk capital. They will be handsomely rewarded for it. Perth mm. is blistering with amazing, amazing talent. And lots of money. We've got more self-made millionaires than any other city in mm. the world. So, yeah, let's get it happening. Um, who do you most admire in the local scene, either a company or a person? I admire Tyler Spooner. Tyler Spooner, uh, I love that I can call him my friend. You group, mm-hmm. yeah. But he is a person, um, Not if you ever hear about his own personal background yes. and story, it is absolutely incredible and his resilience and his positive attitude. I love catching up with him even though he took me to a really shoddy Chinese restaurant and made me sick one time. Chinese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, if you listen to this, the next restaurant pick is on me. But outside of that, <laughs> that guy is a phenomenally just – level-headed individual that I love spending time with. And uh, we haven't had him on this. We We had him on this podcast, yes, with Brenda. Mm -hmm. So you go back earlier episode, you can Mm -hmm. hear that. Mm -hmm. Um, How can anyone listening help you? The best way you you can help me and WeMoney is by giving WeMoney a go. Mm -hmm. It's free to download. You can find it in the Apple and the Google stores. Uh, Give it a go and download. And if you know anybody that needs help with their money and their finances, give them the link. Who doesn't, right? That's right. Everyone, for everybody. Everybody has got a friend they know of that is in a situation where they're not confident about money and finances and it's a great way for them to come and join and get hints and tips from the WeMoney community, which is now very active, to help them along their journey and improve their financial So if it's a free app, sorry, I should have asked this earlier. I'm going to duck out of the quick fire question. How do you make money at WeMoney? So WeMoney at the moment makes money uh, by the following way. We have partnered now with 25 institutions across a series of different financial products and services like home uh-huh. loans, personal loans and car loans and electricity switching. So every time that you switch a mortgage or switch your personal loan mm-hmm. to a cheaper rate and save yourself money, uh, we receive a fee from that financial services provider mm-hmm. for that. We so are, there's a bit of switch my loan coming into WeMoney. Clever. It is. Yeah. A lot of learned muscle memory yes. there from that experience. <laughs> yes. But uh, we are exploring other ways where uh, we're going to be launching a pro feature, which is a subscription-based model, which right. allows our members to receive much more value and utility uh, for a small monthly fee to get more access and help them out with their money even better. Yeah. Great. And yeah. how do you get away from it all? How do you relax and refresh away from the startup? Well, this is a very good question. I'm not really good at that, to be honest, Janelle and Charlie. It's been one of my biggest issues as a founder that's uh, carried forward from the first start to the second mm. founder. So I don't mm. want to profess that I'm uh, any good at this. But look, I love working um, and I love – like when you're obsessed about something, when you – like I thought about WeMoney seven years before founding it, right? Mm. So it's been something that I've woken up with, gone to bed with, thought about, obsessed over, um, you know – Probably, if you look at my Spotify playlist, I know Spotify doesn't give you how much hours of podcasts you listen to, but I listen to about maybe 10 to 12 hours of fintech podcasts each and every single week. So mm. I'm fascinated by the topic and that that's very hard when you're really enamored about something that you want to bring into the world, that how do you disconnect from it? And yeah. I think um, I've tried to get better at that. Mm. And one thing that- Or uh, dodgy Chinese with Tyler, apart from or, that. Apart from that, <laughs> um, I'm spending- uh, sometime actually moving away with my wife in a very secluded location here in Perth called Denmark. Um, Good. Yeah, coming up in September Lovely. and we're going to do a bit of a working holiday awesome. and just explore some surrounds of some different places um, and so take some time off from the regular sort of environment and, um, you know, away from my very bush, four-year-old who just seems to be um, 
you know, connected to a Rolling PowerPoint because he doesn't stop. Um, <laughs> you have a four-year-old? I do. Yeah, right. yeah. And so family of your own times. now. Family of your own, correct, wow. yeah, 100%. Um, so, yeah, I think um, spending a bit of time away from your, you know, traditional environments probably helps you become more creative and helps you recharge. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Fabulous. Right. Thank you so much, Dan. And it's been awesome to chat to you. Thank you for sharing so openly your story. We would like to wish you and We Money all the very best for the future. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks, thanks to our sponsors. Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed Coworking Spaces, the New Industries Fund, Curtin University, City of Perth, RSM and Dinner Twist. And we recorded this podcast at Riff Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favourite pod platform. Bookmark the Startup West website where all our episodes are live. And if you'd like to, if you like what you hear, please mm. leave us a review. Love to hear from you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, Shelley. Thanks, Daniel. Bye. Bye.